0: Welcome to The Vine, a plant media project podcast with your hosts Elizabeth Sheldon and Gina Vensel. The Vine is an insightful look into the world of plant medicine, exploring the changing landscape around cannabis and psychedelics, and ending the stigma through educational discussions. Today, we welcome James Makachi, owner of the Haight Street Shroom Shop, an educational retail space dedicated to mushroom-related resources products, and home mycology supplies located in San Francisco, California. In addition to the shop, James is also a fierce advocate for psychedelic decriminalization. He was one of the original founders of the Oakland Decrim Movement and recently founded the Psychedelic Small Business Association. Now he is lobbying for psychedelic decriminalization for the entire state of California and even sponsored the very first Psilocybin Cup. Welcome, James.
1: Hi. Thank you so much for having me today.
2: Yes, James, welcome. Gina speaks so highly of you. It's a pleasure to have you on with us today. And just wondering if you can start off by telling us a bit about your background and how you became a mushroom shop owner, educator, and advocate.
1: Sure, sure. So um, uh, just, again, thank you for the opportunity to sit here with you both and just have a wonderful discussion about a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Um, so uh, the Hay Street Shroom Shop was uh, uh, conceived about... Uh, about Uh, We opened up three years ago, but the idea came about um, around five years ago uh, when my wife was completing uh, her chemotherapy treatment uh, coming off of stage two breast cancer. Uh, We had been uh, using uh, medicinal mushrooms, the turkey tail mushroom, uh, as a part of uh, our supplement regimen uh, to help deal with the side effects of of the radiation and chemotherapy, which was really, really beneficial. She went through uh, very aggressive therapy and came out the other side with very few side effects. And we attribute that to um, the recipe that she built. And part of that recipe was the turkey tail mushroom. So uh, as I was kind of, you know, con- uh, being a, a, um, a consumer of these mushrooms and purchasing them all, a whole bunch of them to really pump up my wife's immune system, uh, it started to become really expensive. And as I kind of just started diving a little bit deeper on the internet, I realized that I could walk like two blocks from where I lived into Golden Gate Park and find these mushrooms everywhere prolifically. And that was the the spore that um, that created the first uh, level of mycelium in my mind to help me <laughs> build this space out dedicated to just trying to help people learn more about mushrooms.
2: And it's actually a mush- a mushroom that you you can find in nature.
1: Yeah, the turkey the turkey tail mushroom is is prolific across every single continent, and there are many many different varieties of it, and they all ha- a lot of them have different benefits, right? Some of them have no benefits, but most of them, especially the one that we find here. Uh, the tre- uh, Tremendous veriscolar. Ver- ver- right? I'm not very good with Latin names, by the way. Yeah. Just putting that right out there right now. But that is, um, it's common here in Northern California, all across the United States, everywhere, and it, it, um, you'll see it on deciduous trees everywhere. So once you learn how to identify it, you'll all of a sudden realize that this beautiful little mushroom is everywhere in the forest.
0: But you were working in Silicon Valley before this, though, right? I mean, you like changed your whole life for this mushroom. So tell us about that and how that that went from just, you know, helping out your wife and and seeing it in this way to to changing your life and now being a part of your your daily work.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, I I am a former um, uh, Silicon Valley tech professional. I worked in um, software QA um, um, and program management for about uh, about 10 years when I uh, moved out here in the Bay and uh, I learned a lot. I mean, uh, process control, um, learning how to develop software—a um, really, really interesting learning experience. When uh, when my wife was diagnosed with cancer, I have to I have to you know, give credit where credit is due. Uh, we were able to go through a high level of um, a high level of treatment and support because I was involved in, in a great corporate structure that allowed allowed me that understood the value of family. So so there are some really great things that exist in in the big uh, corporate. Um, Uh, companies that are developing products and developing software and things like that. But what happened to me is, uh, as I was going through this, I started to realize that um, the things that were really more important to me were more tangible. And so software isn't something that's necessarily tangible. Like, yeah, it helps people a lot. But what I realized was, is the the market was getting saturated with so many different types of software and so many different things that I I really wanted to shift my energy towards creating something physical that helps people rather than then the idea of helping people and then dealing with their support tickets and trying to advance my software, I wanted, I wanted to go back to like ancient technology and just share it with people so that they could just have the benefits of it without having to like do all the support stuff that I was doing in the tech world.
0: It's so cool. I love that. And we've gotten to know each other um, through Clubhouse, which is great. Thanks to Chief Skills and his tribe. So we'll give a shout out to Chief Tribe. Tribe. So I'm very, I'm very lucky to um, not only get to know you, you know, from just these amazing conversations that we've had centered around, you know, policy changes and psychedelics, but the fact that we both have little ones like seven years old and, you know, (laughs) to be parents in this space, you know, raises all these different conversations around, you know, talking about psychedelics with families and opening up about that and when is the right time to talk to children about these things and how do we bring these topics up? So I wanted to get your perspective and see if you could talk a little bit about that.
1: Sure. I mean, that is an interesting one, right? Um, because you have so many different opinions on, on substances, on drugs, on entheogens, on psychedelics. Like, let's just kind of put all the words out there to kind of lay them all on the table. And, um, you know, cannabis is a really good example of a starting point. I think the stigma that was behind cannabis lasted for a really 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 long time. I mean 20 plus years after Prop 215, right? So Prop 215 was the first was the first thing here in California that allowed for medical use and then we still had to deal with the stigma that was behind that. Now, uh, the stigma on psychedelics is a little different. Is it there? Oh yeah, it's certainly there because there's a lot of a lot of education that has to occur to help people understand that um you know, just by because you took psychedelics doesn't mean you're a crazy person or or anything like that, you know. So trying to find that common ground where first and foremost, where we contextually are talking to our peers, right? So people around us need to kind of understand why we're interested in this. And, and if you can use good rhetoric or, or context that helps people understand where and why you might want to be talking about this, that's the first step. And then when we start getting to children, that's an even more interesting conversation because, you know, some people are microdosing in their daily routine and depending on how their, how their world is and their personal space is, they may feel their microdoses. Maybe their kid might see that they look a little different, or there they're, there's a little bit of a little bit of shine in their eye, or something like that. But the thing is, is when we start discussing plants in general with with children, like I had a hard one with this too, because you know I grew up in the in the 80s with the whole thing with cannabis and marijuana being really really bad. And and now as I have been developing, you know, and obviously I don't smoke in front of my son because you know, smoking in general is a bad thing, but just kind of talking about what it is right when he sees me with like holding cannabis or like or i say oh hey i'm gonna go outside and, and take some medicine and trying to change that context and the framework and, and trying to get him to understand that this is for me you know this is something for me and when when you get older if it's something that you're interested in well it's a good thing that you got people around you that that kind of get it and and we'll slowly change people's minds just by having those conversations And if the kids can come into the context of saying, no, that's medicine, then we've done our job as advocates because they're the future. They're the ones that are going to decide how this medicine is actually ingested by people in society.
2: So true. So true. And I I feel for both of you, my children are out of the house, but I think that if people can be brave like you and say, you know, this is dad's medicine and if it's appropriate for you when you get to be of age, then we'll have that conversation just like alcohol or you know, all these other things that we're doing. Um, so it was interesting to read about your journey and uh, your shroom shop and just wondered sort of what your mission is and what the educational workshops are like and your future vision. Are there more shroom shops to come? <laughs>
1: Oh, man, I hope so. I hope Me so. Me too. So, so the, the shop, I have two different arms, right? Like I have, I have, or three different if you want to talk about advocacy and decriminalization as a separate piece as well. But um, the education is, is the one piece right now in the world that's legal. So if we're in a framework and we're all clear and we, we use our words correctly, we can sit here and have legit discussions um, as adults. And that was really the first the first step of, of me opening the space was I wanted a place that was like a lighthouse or a beacon for people to come to just to ask questions. Right before I we got on this call, I was um, I was sitting here with a client and and the same type of thing. He wanted to buy grain, he came in and and I try to say to people, it's like if you want if you really want to do this, you need to search it out. And just like if you want to find mushrooms, you need to search them out. And so as I, as I look at this expansion, I, I focus my energy right now on the idea of education and advocacy, trying to support local mycologists, and I do it on a small scale. I don't, I'm not, I'm not a producer that, well, not yet, <laughs> a producer that does thousands and thousands of pounds because I'm more focused right now on the educational side of those things and trying to help people build out whatever they want to do. Because systems development, process control, that's what I did in software. And if you want to grow good mushrooms, you need to do the same type of thing and you need to understand your process. And so I want that's what I want to share right now. And and I named it Hate Street Shroom Shop because if the universe provides, then we'll have a dispensary up on Hate Street where people can come. They can come down to the shop down here, be educated, take a seminar, then go up to the dispensary within a safe framework, and then go walk over to Hippie Hill and relive the summer of love in a in a format that is safe and accessible. And, and fun. I just want people to have fun.
0: Although I had to giggle when I went on your website, and the only frequently asked question, uh, it just it just brought me to giggles. It was like the question is, "Can I get psilocybin magic mushrooms?" And the answer is, "No, they're illegal." Um, so Ooh. just being clear <laughs> that what's actually happening at the shop is, you're also teaching people how to grow. Uh, you call them gourmet yep. mushrooms, right? You know other right. types of we mushrooms have... that are outside of this. Um, the so I like to like classify. Milk-based.
1: I love to classify mushrooms. You really hit one of my one of my favorite notes, Gina. Is like I love to classify mushrooms into three different categories. I like to call them gourmet mushrooms, which are mushrooms that on their on their on the front they taste good. Then there's medicinal mushrooms, and those are mushrooms that are really good for your body. Might work for your immune system. Might make you breathe better. Might give you energy. And then there's therapeutic mushrooms. And those are mushrooms that work on your brain and your internal mechanisms. And that's the thing that's really interesting about mushrooms in general is if you look at any particular mushroom, anyone, doesn't have to be psychedelic or not, you will find that that mushroom crosses two of those categories. So it could be a gourmet mushroom and a medicinal mushroom. It could be a gourmet mushroom and a therapeutic mushroom, or it could be therapeutic and a medicinal, you see, and it crosses all of these categories. And when you think of them in that framework, all of a sudden you start, you start, you you don't think of psychedelic mushrooms or psilocybin mushrooms as as medicinal. You think of them as therapeutic because the reishi mushroom is just as medicinal, if not more, you know, like I consume, you know, medicinal mushrooms, reishi, turkey tail, chaga daily, but I do not consume psilocybin, you know, maybe even monthly, if, if at all.
2: So how do we learn more about those mushrooms that you know, are, are good for us to be consumed daily. I, am not up on any of that. Um,
1: Well, that's the beauty of Google. I'll just tell you that right there. First and foremost, you know, but if I'm going to give you some of the ones just, uh, and all your listeners to, to go and look up the first one that you already heard about is the turkey tail. The next one is the reishi mushroom. The next mushroom I would, uh, would recommend is the chaga mushroom. Then I would look at the cordyceps mushroom. Then I would start looking into the lower stuff that, that we all talk about in, in general, like that are gourmet, like the oysters, like the shiitakes, the inokis, the mayatakis. Mayataki is also a really good medicinal one, but it tastes awesome too. And you know, it's just there's there's so it, it's the, the the fungi or fungi, fungi, however you want to say it, the world is it's its own, it's its own planet. It's its own thing. And you know, when we talk about entheogens, we tend to talk about plant medicine. I'm doing air quotes, friends, but fungi, it's its own world. They don't they're not plants.
2: I know. <laughs> fungi I'm older, like, and correct And <laughs> yeah, and
1: it's like we we sometimes just kind of lump all of our psychedelic all of our psychedelic substances that are natural. How about natural entheogens mm-hmm. rather than plants? Um, I just figured that one out. I think we're gonna change it. Natural entheogens is how I'm gonna say it from now on. Uh, because you know, I don't I'm not here to correct people, but it is its own thing. So go out, look, start looking down. That's my recommendation to all of your listeners. Instead of looking up, when you're in the woods and you see the duff, the duff is uh, pine needles or kind of like little domes, little little fairy magic places that fairies would hide. I guarantee you there's mushrooms right next to it.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the Mycelium Network for those listeners that may not know? Because I'm just so fascinated by it, and I think it really helps explain why it is its own world.
1: <laughs> the wood wide web? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so the internet of the forest, the uh, mycelium that's below. So what is mycelium? Mycelium is the connective tissue, the life of, of mushroom. When we see mushrooms out in the world, we're actually seeing the death of it. So the mushroom fruit body, the little, the little cap and the little stem and the veil and the gills, that is actually the death of the mycelium. And what's happened is the conditions have been created perfectly for it to go, oh, oh, I don't have any more food. I'm going to push up this, this, you know, this member and I'm going to send off my genetic material into the wind, into the space, into the nether sphere. That's how it works is that it works underground like that. But the beauty of mycelium, And as we're kind of learning more about ecology and ecosystems in general, what has been found out is like only within the past 15 years, and it's more being toted now, right? Like, but mycelium connects everything. So the mycelium under us, it connects the tree, it connects the grass, it connects the pines, it connects, you know, the shrubs and any type of living organism that is in the ground. And what the mycelium is, is it's basically the communication network between all these different plants. So if, for instance, the pine tree is going, oh, I don't have enough, I don't have enough water over here, it's going to actually send signals through the mycelium network that then could connect to a different plant or a different species that then starts sending nutrients back through the mycelium. It's an amazing, amazing piece of our ecosystem that people don't even know. We're walking on it every single day. There are organisms of mycelium that are one mass that are over five square miles. It's the largest living organism in the world, is mushrooms. <laughs> it's, it's incredible.
2: incredible.
0: Isn't it just it's incredible? And, and, and the fact that, you know, you can be in your garden, you're digging down in, and you see that it almost looks like spider webby kind of stuff that you're pulling out of the ground. I mean, that's the mycelium, it's mold. right?
1: Yeah, you think it's mold yeah, or something? I bad. thought it no, was mold. No, no, no. That is the connection. That is the way that your plants connect to everything else. And you just, you just gave me a reminder, the one that I want to send to all your listeners. So all of my friends here on the East Coast or in the Midwest that are listening along right now, the mushroom that I want you to search out is called... The wine cap mushroom. Okay, so if you're planting your garden right now, you're planting your tomatoes, I want you to find this mushroom. It's called the wine cap mushroom, Stropharia rugiosolata. And this mushroom is called the garden giant. And it specifically has a beautiful mycorrhizal, mycorrhizal, that's the relationship that exists between the mushroom and the plants that it grows next to, a beautiful mycorrhizal relationship with a lot of garden um, plants. And it's like a double dip because you'll go out there and you'll be picking your tomatoes and all of a sudden, boom, at the bottom of your tomato plant is this giant mushroom that is beautiful, gourmet and tasty and meaty. And once you bite into a real hearty mushroom the first time, you will be a mycophile just like me, I promise.
0: Well, I'm going to need to try that because I'm one of those people. I'm a vegetarian for like 20 years and I just don't like mushrooms okay so oh, i'm no. like the no oh,
1: worst no. I, I can fix I said that it, i said it okay
2: i can fix it so <laughs> i know they, <laughs> you were gonna admit it here
0: I admitted it i'm admitting it here all every all right. every year you know i try because my husband will make the gourmet ones and he'll cook them on the grill or whatever and i keep all trying because right. they say your palate changes you know and so like maybe do you like change. do you like
1: seitan or do you like any of the fake meat yeah. substitutes yeah, I, can, okay. I can
0: do like a seitan or something sure so
1: we're gonna make you the best damn mushroom burger that you ever tried in your life
0: OK, I swear okay. to
1: God, I've I've fed some of my mushrooms to people and they look at me like I'm from New England. Right. So I like gotta love a lobster roll. OK, a lobster roll. It's a big it. big New England, Right. There is a mushroom, the lion's mane mushroom. When you cut that up and cook it, it has the consistency of crab and you can make a vegan lobster roll with vegan a's. And I have tricked my New England friends. They, they they'll bite it and they get halfway through it and they look at me and I'm like. What's up? They're like, what's wrong with this? And I'm like, it's vegan. <laughs> they can't believe it.
0: That is <laughs> it, incredible. Because it has
1: the, the consistency. So, but so if, you wanna, if you don't want
0: if you don't want to eat them, if there are people that don't want to eat them but they want the the medicinal benefits of those healing mushrooms, I've heard that there are, you know, there's some coffee replacements and drinks yes. and supplements. I mean, so Whatever, you know, if someone really doesn't like the taste, like how best can they ensure that they're getting their mushroom intake?
1: That's, that's a really great question, right? So like fresh mushrooms, obviously like the highest level of beta-glucans and polysaccharides that you can get, right? Those are the two compounds that we're kind of studying right now that have all the medicinal benefits and we're trying to kind of dial them in. Just like we did with like CBD and CBG, CBB, all these new different C types of compounds coming out of cannabis. We're going to find about the same thing in mushrooms right now. And even more so when we get down to those psychedelic mushrooms. But if you don't like the texture of mushrooms, the easiest way to consume them is in the powder form. And you and you said the best methodology because if you drink coffee or you drink tea, the uh, the bitterness or the acidity of the tea and the coffee help actually um, help kind of keep the grittiness out of it. So you can mix you can mix it in really easy. I do um, my seven mushroom blend plus extra cordyceps, plus my micros, which are usually, again, dependent, right? So some of my micros actually are like turmeric and then like a couple different mushrooms. Some days I'll take more lion's mane. Like if I worked out really hard the day before, I'll take more lion's mane and turmeric the following day um, because I'm just like need more focus and trying to deal with inflammation and things like that. So the powder form is the best. Put them in smoothies, put them in coffee, put them in tea. All right. You can just add them to your general food. People don't even realize this. You can just add these to your soup. You can just take this powdered mushroom, you like chicken noodle soup, put a little thing right in there. You won't even taste it. And you're so getting do the you sell that? Of yeah, of course. Can we that. order
2: it from you? Can we <laughs> you order can come order get it
1: my seven it? mushroom blend. Yeah, we can make that happen. I, I'm growing right now, so you got to wait a little bit. All right, my lion's mane, my reishis are in. The reish- you got to understand about reishis, too. is uh, they Some of the mushrooms take longer growth periods than others. And so these, uh, these polypores, which are the ones that are these hardy, wood-loving mushrooms that are kind of growing off the wood that's decomposing, they do take a long time. So I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, you guys are first on the list when I get my ratio and get everything.
0: Awesome.
1: Um, but uh, the other thing, too, tinctures, right? So if you're looking for another, like, max volume hit for the highest level of, uh, of all the compounds you can get, tinctures are another great form. And the tinctures can also be put in your coffee, to put in your smoothie, and other things like that. Um, But if you haven't tried mushroom umami, I highly recommend it. Tastes great. You can put it on anything. It's got tons of mushrooms in it. (laughs) Love that one too.
0: Wow. And you'll convince me. I'll try. I'll try one of your mushroom burgers. Um, yeah,
1: that's I, what I, want I, to I will.
0: I will try. But I'm gonna fly all the way to California and have you prepare it for oh, me. And so that's I, that's gonna be the well. If you do that, me. it's not <laughs> just
1: gonna be mushroom burgers because right next door to me is a taqueria and a really good friend of mine, and he and I do collabs every once in a while when I get fresh stuff. So you might be getting like uh, uh, lion's mane chicken nuggets and lion's mane tacos and oyster mushroom tacos plus. Um, on oh, the burger because I'm telling you once, I, once you try this oyster mushroom burger, you ain't going to go back. <laughs> you're like, alright James this is my new vitamin D supplement. Right? This is how you're going to, so if you don't know vitamin D is the big one guys. If you're not if you, you know, live in the, in the, the gray of uh, you know Toronto or Rochester, New York where I went to college where it's gray like 70% of the year, you got to get that vitamin D. Mushrooms, all you need is one serving of mushrooms a week and you're going to max yourself on, out on vitamin D on the regular.
2: That's I awesome. did not know that. I'm taking it every night, four little capsules of vitamin D.
1: And you want to see even crazier? One of the things that's even more fun is if you take, like, say you got, say you went to Whole Foods, right? We'll just use Whole Foods as an example, or Trader Joe's, and you pick, you, you see the fresh mushrooms, and you the little the little pack that comes, has got like some enoki's and some oysters or whatever. It's a little variety pack. If you take that, right? You got it fresh because um, that's one of the things that's interesting about mushrooms is the uh, time to market is so short, right? The moment they pick it, you guys, you've got to understand that when you go into the fresh place and get your mushrooms, certain varieties, they will only pick within a week of the, the when you're seeing them on the shelf. but you can take those mushrooms in your little package and sit them in direct sunlight for like 10 or 15 minutes before you cook them. And they will absorb 15 to 20% more vitamin D e directly from sunlight, <laughs> Isn't
0: that, crazy? that is such a great tip. I love that. Right?
2: It is so great.
1: Right. So it's like if you're if it's like late summer, you know, you're out in the Barbie, you know, like and there's some late light, uh, throw the mushrooms in front of it. Get a boost for the kids. Get some more vitamin D in there. <laughs> oh my and and, and I, I tell you right now, you know, some of my experiences, I've been in some amazing places, traveling and talking to people about mushrooms. I've been in places that are impoverished. And when they when they start learning about cultivating mushrooms and growing mushrooms, all of a sudden the kids, the kids will like actually say, no, 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 no. We want the flat chicken tonight. We want the flat chicken. And it's not flat chicken. It's oyster mushrooms that are cut down and diced and then spiced as if they were chicken. But the kids think it's chicken. So it is so awesome. So much to learn.
2: There
0: really is. And it, you know, it, it reminds us that, you know, Mushrooms really are magic. And there's the whole other side of this that, you know, everybody um, that listens to our podcast that wants to get under the psychedelic conversation is probably saying, okay, let's get to it. When and how are we going to move forward and get psychedelics decriminalized? And I know that this is something that really matters to you. Um, I want to thank you for being able to, you were streaming some some uh, chats with your your congresspeople and senators um, on Clubhouse so that others can hear. You've been really kind of gathering people and getting people together. So I want to ask, you know, where do things stand in California when it comes to decriminalization and where do you see this movement going forward?
1: Well, uh, great question. Um, exciting time to be having any discussions about decriminalization and legalization eventually, right? That's what we're all moving towards. And and you know always when we talk about this stuff too for for your listeners it's a really it's really important to make sure that we we put out that differentiation between what decriminalization and legalization means right so decriminalization means it's mainly for personal use right so you're not going to get arrested if you go and consume mushrooms or you know but that doesn't leave it wide open right so I want to make sure that everybody that's out there listening go educate yourself on what um, decriminalization versus legalization is but what's really important. That's why I'm sitting in the education space is because, um, is empowering people to, to, to decide what they want to do, uh, with their spiritual and personal experiences and health experiences and things like that. And so the decriminalization effort has been really, really good at focusing on the individual and focusing on the community and then focusing on, um, how to build a framework. So with that being said, you know, we've got measure 109 and I think it's 110 up in Oregon, which decriminalized uh, psilocybin in a medical format as well as decriminalized all drugs. Down here in California, we're working on this measure called SB519, which focuses on decriminalizing entheogenic plants and fungi. Um, And the way and the speed that it's moved has actually caught me off guard. I, I did not expect it to move this fast. I've been working in the decriminalization space um, and I want to make sure that I, uh, I actually correct that, too. I, I wasn't one of the founders of Decrim Nature. I, um, I am a co-founder of Decrim Nature San Francisco, but I've been involved with the, uh, the Decrim Nature organization from its inception. And I'm really, um, really great friends and advocates with uh, with Larry and Carlos, the guys that are the, the true founders of that space. Um, but uh, it's it's happening so fast and so quickly that my expectation now, this coming Monday, we are about to go into appropriations committee, which is the third committee that this bill has gone through. So with that being said, I'm, I'm still, I guess, flabbergasted at the speed it, that it's happening. Um, but if this continues to move forward, and we're going to know Monday, so I want to just shout out if anybody's listening to this and, and even if you guys release the podcast later, make sure you go look up what happened with the SB 519 Appropriations Committee here in California. Senator Scott Wiener is the senator, uh, my senator here in San Francisco, in uh, NorCal, who submitted the legislation. And we've gone through two committees uh, with with only one um, nay vote. So, so far, there's only been one uh, individual in the Senate that has actually voted against it. And the reason they voted against it was n- had nothing to do with the science or the ceremony or the advocacy. It actually had to do with... Um, with uh, uh, ketamine being used as a date rape drug, which if you understand anything about the administration of ketamine, that concern is actually not a valid concern because there's no way to get it on the street in a way that would, cause it has to be administered through a shot in order to get to that level. Right. So I, at least I don't, I hope, please, please, I hope there ain't nobody going out the bars and sticking people with ketamine and trying to take them home. That just sounds horrible. And so that's the major concern that's going on uh, right now in the discussion. That doesn't mean there aren't other concerns. There definitely are. But to be, I'm utterly surprised at the speed that it's moving. And so it's going to move through Appropriations Committee. We're going to say that right now. We're going to put it out in the universe and bring positive affirmations to the fact that it is going to move through Appropriations Committee. And then hopefully by June, it's going to be on the Senate floor. And that is the real. That's the real wow. test of it right there, <laughs> if it goes to the Senate floor, we're voting on this thing statewide. And if California decriminalizes statewide, you can pretty much expect that guys like me and guys that have been uh, like Oakland Hyphae and, and decriminalized nature and all these amazing small businesses that are emerging in this space, we're going to get really hot really quick and we're going we're gonna to have to do this talking and do this work um, even faster and harder than we have been because there's going to be an emerging market and our voices, like your voice, uh, working over on the East Coast, my voice over here on the West Coast, people in um, Ann Arbor, Michigan, their voice are gonna all. There needs to be some cohesion, and it's all gonna move. Just like I was saying earlier, we're gonna know our know the people of our target markets. We're gonna talk to them in the correct context. People like myself that are parents, members of the PTA, high school wrestling coaches, people that have been involved in their community for over a decade. We're gonna come out and we're gonna say we're here. Stop trying to tell me what I can do inside my own brain, because I think we all believe in cognitive liberty. And that to me is the purpose of of all this work is letting people decide what goes on inside their own head and letting them take control of that. So stay tuned. I mean, geez, I'm really excited. Scott Wiener is actually going to be talking with me on Clubhouse on May 10th. I just found out today. So So exciting. On May 10th, we're going to do a live forum with him we will have gone through the Appropriations Committee, so it's a really amazing opportunity to have a discussion with a senator who's actively doing the work, and I I can't, I, I almost am speechless because it's happening so much faster than I anticipated.
2: So tell us about the Psilocybin Cup, and, and it was the first of its kind, right?
1: That's right. It was a really awesome event put on by, one of my local Bay Area partners, Oakland Haife and Critical Consulting, which are which are two guys that I've been uh, working in the decriminalization space with uh, since since its onset. And uh, Reggie and Ian uh, have done an amazing job creating a um, a community based uh, company that allows people access to potency testing of their medicine. And that right there is one of the keys to the puzzle, right? So potency testing, the numbers, the metrics that go behind what people are individually doing are what substantiate what we do in the science world. So the more numbers that we have behind what people are doing, the more we have data to actually back up what the anecdotal and the interpersonal experiences being relayed are. So I just I can't thank those guys enough because the work that they're doing is is groundbreaking and really important to the overall movement because it will push the regulation and the science in a direction that is more community focused rather than uh, capital focused.
2: So like the cannabis cup, you know, they send out the samples to everybody and all the judges. So how does that work in the psilocybin cup? Are you saying that? <laughs> uh, great question. Okay.
1: So so if you, if I haven't released them yet, but I have a couple talks that Reggie and I did about uh, this exact thing, right? Because When we talk about the advancement of the cup, so the cup, obviously because of the state of of the country and in this discussion, it needed to be very, um, very uh, not secretive, but just controlled. And so the cup itself on this first inception was just basically, we're going to test the potency of these different compounds, and you're going to get a number back, and we're going to put you all on a list and line you up on the list. That's all it was. Now, I already asked the same exact question to Reggie when I got him in the room, because right? The Cannabis Cup is a huge event. It, it, it's a huge opportunity um, to share your wares out with people and get your brand known. And, and I kind of looked at them and I said, well, what do you think the future is? How are we going to do the testing? How are we going to do the actual experiential testing? And right now I, I proposed and I hope we're going to actually talk about using the panelists as the initial judges, because most of the people that are uh, that are doing the cultivation their experience and knowledge within individual things is going to have a lot more impact and and a lot more like weight when it comes back in the report back but i can pretty much guarantee that you can expect that within a year or two there's gonna be um a a, like a an attendee type of pack just like you get the cannabis cup and obviously that's going to be indicative of where the state lies with the criminalization where the state lies with legalization right because right now in Cannabis Cup, we're legal. So we're allowed to send stuff to people in the silo Cup. I, the, the framework for that isn't there yet. Um, but that's what the discussion is about, right? That's why we're talking to our politicians is creating that framework so that in a year's time, you know, we're going to have a framework for distribution, for access and, and an ability from, from all the way down to I only got two bucks to all the way up to I got thousands of dollars and and I want to do something magical and special.
0: Do we feel that it seems like everyone always asks like how much I'm supposed to take? So when you're talking about, you know, the intensity of, of these mushrooms and coming up with a way to be able to really test them, this could be very beneficial for just general consumers to maybe understand the potency so that they can have a better experience. And I know that on clubhouse, I'm always hearing that's like the one question everybody's asked is, you know, how much I should take and no one really wants to tell someone because it seems that, you know, everybody's body is so different and there's so many different variables. But do you think that we could get to a place where with understanding more of these potencies that we'd be able to say kind of like a safe dosage for certain effects?
1: Yes. And I actually think that that science is going to be completely outside of mushrooms so what I think is, is as the science continues to advance, the body regulation and understanding the levels of salt, the levels of different compounds that are occurring in that state are going to become much more prevalent. And then we're going to start looking at how to, make, how to create um, different uh, modalities, either through body regulation, temperature regulation, ingesting a certain amount of salt, ingesting a certain amount of water, getting your alkalinity to a certain level. We're going to, it's going to get so science level that the mushroom itself is literally just, is literally just the key to the door of actually, um, getting body composition and balance understood. So from, from that standpoint, I, I really think that we're probably going to see, um, an actual dosage type thing. And it's not gonna. You're not going to ingest a mushroom, a plant, anything. You're literally going to take, um, like a drink or a vial or you're going to get injected with like some peptides or exomes, all this new stuff that I've been trying to figure out what the hell is going on with that. Um, You know, it's going to be something like that where, where you basically go into a clinic, you sit down and you go through this and then it'll be like a six hour experience. And then you just roll back out into the world. I think I, I have a, you know, I, I um, just to kind of go on a tangent for a second, like, I've always like been interested in like uh, the idea of the mystery schools, right? Like uh, the idea of uh, Dionysus, the Dionysian mysteries, the Eleusinian mysteries, and just trying to kind of understand what that context was, right? So in, in Greek society and culture, each one of those mystery schools was, was, a, was basically a birthright. So it's like at one time of the year, they created this certain experience that was universal and you could be in it or you didn't have to be in it. It wasn't required. It was just available to everybody. And if you were in that school, then it was only that one time of the year for everybody else. And then there was all these huge regulations and rules revolving around how those mystery schools operated outside of that ceremony. I, I think there's going to be something like that here in America and in the future where, where basically everybody sort of goes through some type of psychedelic experience or, or some type of um, you know, uh, shift in their energy and mentality, which will be used with some of these tools that we're kind of bringing back to the forefront. And, and that's where I see this really moving towards in the future. It's like, and people that use entheogens on the regular, we don't take them daily. You know, if you're taking them daily, we need to, we need to get you to a doctor. Okay. If you think taking entheogens daily is something you need to do, then let's go, let's go talk to somebody else that understands the human brain too right? Because you shouldn't need to take them daily. And in, and in fact, the, the mechanisms that are inside these medicines are made to, to basically prevent you from taking them daily because it don't work on the second day.
0: I was going to say, they're just going <laughs> to stop working. It's like nature saying, no, thank you. You know, that's, take what you need, but not too much.
1: That's right. And that's one of those funny things because then we start talking about uh, the human psyche versus the human physicality. And so, you know, understanding that, that the differences between those two is part of this education, because if you think the mushrooms are going to fix you, then you're, you got more work to do. Okay. The mushrooms are a part of what are going to help you, but they're not going to fix you. Five grams of mushrooms aren't going to fix your depression. Don't ever think that friends. All right? You can take five grams of mushrooms, go on a great journey, and then you're going to come back and you're going to learn something. And that learning something might take you time, but we don't know that, right? That's what we're trying to figure out.
0: So well said. So, so well said. And, you know, we talk a lot um, on the Vine about the changing landscape around cannabis and psychedelics, but I can say that I feel like psychedelics is moving even faster than cannabis at this point. And I think that, you know, it's in some ways it's easy to try to compare and contrast, but they are such different industries. And so I'm curious just about this how you feel things are moving forward you know what should we be comparing and learning maybe from cannabis and what do we need to say this is kind of a separate industry and we need to handle and manage it differently oh
1: thank you for asking that question really near and dear to my heart as a cultivator and as somebody trying to kind of work on business development in the space um basically uh (laughs) the pay-to-play model needs to not exist all right so um Right now here in California, Prop 64, it's like, you need $250,000 to become a cultivator or a farm just to get through the regulation. We cannot allow that. We can't, all right? Like, even me with my brand and, and my knowledge and the things that I'm saying, like, it is not fair to put a guy like me in a position to be one of, one of the cultivators, Right? You guys should have the opportunity to cultivate on your own. You should develop your relationship with your medicine because a lot of the talk that goes on in the space right now is is revolving around cultivation because the methodology that's used, the energy that's put in, the love that's put in really does affect the output of the medicine. And so when we're, when we're talking about where the space is going to go from looking at cannabis and looking at the future, cannabis's model really doesn't fit in the same way. People, we just said it two seconds ago, people do not consume psychedelics on a daily basis. And again, my friends, if you you feel the need to do that, please, I'm going to encourage you to go out and try and talk to somebody in the mental health
2: space. But you're not talking about microdosing.
1: No, no. Well, again, I'm going to tell you about microdosing, too. And I'm not, this is my anecdotal opinion. This is an opinion, not a suggestion. You know, it's micro, most people that microdose, they go on for a certain amount of time and then they just stop. You know, even if you're on a regimen of microdosing, most of the people that I've helped with or talked to, they don't microdose longer than a month. Because they don't feel the need to. It's not, it's not like it's not that it's not doing anything, they're just like, oh, I don't need it right now. And you know, when we look at cannabis and the consumption method and the consumption habits of cannabis in the industry, they are not the same. So if you're going to con- if you're going to talk about markets and models for distribution and you're going to compare to a market where people go to the, to the, the distro place daily, then you're, you're not really, you don't know enough about the consumption of the medicine to actually build a framework around it. So that's my biggest concern in the space right now is that while we're here in California and we have Prop 64 and we had Prop 215, we had all this groundwork and groundbreaking uh, stuff to allow cannabis to be accessible. If, we, don't, if we, we have to take a different approach here in California, because if we don't, it'll become a pay-to-play model again. And then the only people that are going to be, it's just going to be dispensaries and people that have millions of dollars. And they'll put the, the personal cultivation, they'll put restrictions on it to a point where a small cultivator doesn't feel like they could actually create a business about it. And that's part of the reason why I'm trying to form a psychedelic small business administration. That's why I'm trying to bring together like-minded people that are interested in forming businesses in the space. But, are, but aren't are necessarily going to be the big money players that are all kind of uh, jockeying for position right now.
0: I could talk to you all day, James. Appreciate you so much. No, this is just, there's so much that we covered, you know, from, you know, the education around mushrooms to the policy and the advocacy around it to really just trying to find our own individualized method to find wellness. And it's going to look different for each of us. And I think that we need to really research and look out for resources like James in his shop that's offering education to the community, because that's going to be our way to really learn what's best for us. And to research these entheogens, natural entheogens, as you said, I love that. We'll use that. Um, to I'm really going to try to remember our it. Lives. <laughs> a, we, we, we have it here. We'll remember yeah, it. You know, what I like I'll it. Do? That's... We'll make sure that we put, you know, some of the resources and the links to some of the mushrooms and the SB519 information into our blog post when we get the episode out so that we can make sure that we keep up to date with all of this. And we'd love to have you back on, you know, later because there's going to be a lot to continuously talk oh, yeah. about on this topic.
1: Anytime. I am. I would love to sit with you ladies and have a discussion on this. It's, it's always fun. We don't have to necessarily talk about advocacy. We could talk about anything related around mushrooms. Uh, You know, I could even take you for a foraging walk while we're all sitting here. While I can walk right down to the park and we can see if we can find some mushrooms. But, you know, I just thank you for the time. Uh, Thank you for your work. Thank you for creating this amazing platform for people to just listen and and try and educate themselves. Um, From my world, if you live in the Bay Area and you're interested in mushroom education, please feel free to reach out. Um, If you live in San Francisco and you want to get involved in the decriminalization uh, movement, please reach out and um, you know, do your best to become an advocate. You know, there's supporters and there's advocates. We wanna build more advocates so that you feel comfortable going and talking to your mom about the fact that microdosing has helped you and maybe it could help her too.
0: And where can people find you if they wanna connect with you, James?
1: Oh, Instagram is the one that I pay attention to the most, but I have uh, email, you can get on my website and contact me through um, the website. You can contact me on Facebook. You can contact me on Instagram. You can find me on Clubhouse um, and uh, pretty much every other social media app that's out there. We got something to hate street from shop hiding in there. Remember, I was in tech, so try and stay <laughs> up. We try and stay up on all the different communication methods.
0: <laughs> and what did you call the Macillian network when you were saying it's it's the oh, yeah. the something wide web? What did you I'll call give it?
1: that I'll give that to Merlin, right? The okay. author of the Entangle- Mer- Merlin Sheldrake, the author of Entangled Life. I highly recommend this book. Um, but he coined it the Wood Wide Web.
0: <laughs> and on that, I love it so much. From Silicon Valley to the Hate Street Shroom Shop, we want to thank you so much, James, for joining us today. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on another episode of The Vine, a Plant Media Project podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast to never miss an episode. For cannabis and psychedelic news, visit us online at plantmediaproject.com.